it's good to see everybody, like I said before, and uh, we just finished up Philippians, and we did a, a four-week study of Philippians, and while I was uh, in, I went to Missouri, I was gone one week, and uh, when I was gone, I was kind of praying about which direction to go, and inadvertently, in a conversation with my, my mom, um, she had mentioned just in passing, I can't remember why we were on this conversation we were talking about books of the Bible, and she just said, you know, one of the hidden jewels in the New Testament is Jude. And I was like, yeah, that, you know, I, I agree with that. And um, and I just didn't really put too much thought into it. I just remember her saying that to me. And uh, when, when I was really praying about that, I felt just pushed by the Holy Spirit to, to talk about, uh, to talk to you about what Jude has to say. Uh, especially because the theme of Jude is, is contending the faith or fighting for the faith. And if there's a time right now um, Christians need to contend for the faith and fight for, our, for the faith, that's, it's right now. And uh, this book, I'll just give you a little introduction to it. Um, Jude is the brother of James, which we did a study on James. Um, their actual... Uh, same dad, same mom, the one who wrote the book of James, not John's brother, um, but the one who wrote the book of James. James, who was instrumental in the early church defending the Gentiles from the Jewish Christians who said that the Gentiles had to be circumcised. We've talked about that in Philippians chapter 3 a little bit. Paul was confronting that too. He's quoting Amos 9, 11, and 12. He was instrumental in opening the door for Gentiles. What does that mean for us? That means we were able to be grafted in. That's what that means, and so that's awesome. And so Jude and James were uh, the half-brothers of Jesus. Same mom, different dad. All right, some of you got that. Some of you, that flew over your head. All right. All right, same, <laughs> same mom, different dad. And both, uh, it, it, this is crazy because James and Jude, neither one really believed Christ was the Messiah until he rose from the dead. That's, that's crazy. The ones closest to him, that would be why Jesus would say in Luke uh, chapter 4 that uh, a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. Is, is that was the very reason, because even his own siblings didn't believe who he was. And so that's crazy. And, uh, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, which we're going to be probably covering Sunday, um, they would be there in the upper room and be there to experience Pentecost power. Both James and Jude were instrumental in the early church. And uh, this was written about 60 A.D. Uh, by Jude, uses his own name, the book of Jude, written by Jude. And I thought, you know, another reason I went to Jude is because, you know, last week or the last month I've been talking about Paul's writing um, to the Philippians, which, which is great. But sometimes if you, if you keep going through one writer's type of writing, it, it kind of can almost seem monotonous. But I tell you what, Jude is a is a lot like James. He's just kind of like a straightforward. I'm going to tell you what it is, like it, don't like it. Here it is. How many can appreciate people like that? All right, good. I like that. Um, it's it's a very short epistle in the New Testament. It's a whopping one chapter. We're going to do our best to get through it tonight. Um, there's a but. It, it, though it's one chapter. There is a lot of strong content in here and some great things. Only 25 verses, and depending on what translation you have, it's about 650 words. 
That's not very big. Um, and oftentimes it gets overlooked because it, it's so short and it precedes Revelation. People just kind of flip right over Jude and go straight to Revelation, you know. Um, but there's some great stuff in there. Um, as a matter of fact, I've struggled when I was studying this how to really teach this, this book. I mean, I, I looked at a couple different variations. And, um, but it's so rich in spiritual application and information in just this little 650-word uh, book And the book is about contending for the faith or fighting for the faith and watching out for false teachers. All right. Its theme is keep yourself in the love of God. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, keep yourself in the love of God. Um, from the opening sentence, uh, Jude pretty much assaults errors. He threatens judgment and encourages holiness. Not wouldn't be a very popular preacher today, just, just throwing that out there. Uh, for all you note takers, uh, he's, he's great for note takers because he likes to put everything in threes. So you're going to get a lot of things, and I'll try to help you break those down tonight, and um, that's convenient for me. And if there is a book that is relevant for our times, it's this book of Jude. And that's one of the other reasons after I began to read this book and, um, and I, I was going back over it, I thought, man, there's so much relevant content. The Word of God is relevant. It's relevant today as it was then, and it's still today. So do me a favor. Let's buckle up. Everyone put your still, still uh, toe shoes on. If you feel convicted, blame it on Jude. Don't blame it on me, okay? Uh, Jude, chapter 1, the only chapter in Jude 1, 1 says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So he starts this uh, this epistle a lot like James started his, and if it would have been me, I think I would have said, I am the half-brother of Jesus. But he did not do that. Matter of fact, he does something that I think that we can all learn from. Hey, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That is where my identity is. He understood something there. Now, to give us a reference of who he was, he said, hey, I'm the brother of James, but Foremost, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And it's a great reminder to us that our highest calling is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you believe that? All right. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Um, it's written here to the called, or the King James Version, it says the sanctified, that's, that's for some of you uh, people, sanctified, sanctification, you know, some, like, the older saints may understand that a little bit more than some of the younger people. Sanctification is this process where when we're saved, we are just getting closer to God, and God is slowly peeling back things as we get closer to him. But it says, it says there uh, that King James says the sanctified. And those are clues to us that this book is written to believers, not non-believers. How many are a believer in here? I don't want to call everyone out. This book's written for you, okay? Now, I think um, the intent is for believers. And if you're a non-believer, I think it can be for you. I think you can glean some things from this. But let me tell you something. This is, this is for uh, people that have re a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice my words there, people that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to cover that in just a minute. Um, there is our first three to the believers. He gives us three right there. What are they? They're mercy, not getting what I deserve. How many have ever got mercy? 
How many didn't get a ticket one time when you got pulled over? All right. All right. Mercy is the first one. Peace. I think another way that we could say peace is rest. Thank you for, for following the leading of the Lord, Sula. You, you're talking about someone in here is, is struggling with maybe peace. And, and let me tell you, when you're at perfect peace, you can rest. All right? And then love, agape love. God is love. Amen. So be multiplied, not added, but multiplied unto you. I like how God works. It's, it's, it's when you add something, that's great. But you would rather your bank account multiply than be added to. Because multiplication goes a lot faster than addition. And so we say this, God, let your love, let your mercy, let your peace, and, and let your love just multiply on us as believers. And so I, I want that in my life. So then he quickly jumps here, and he starts talking uh, to, on judgment on false teachers. Verse 3 says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. If you're a writer in your Bible, you might want to underline that. To contend for your faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And I, I like Jude here because he reminds me a lot of myself. His intent was maybe to, to, to he wanted to talk about something here, but the Holy Spirit leads him to address something that is happening. Now, from time to time, we have to do that uh, in, in churches and as a leader Sometimes we have to address things spiritually, and sometimes they can be messy, and sometimes they can be rough. Well, he, he just says, hey, I wanted to talk about the goodness of God. I want to talk about the mercy of God, but guess what? We're going to deal with these false teachers. That's, that's basically what he's saying. So his original intent was to write about common salvation, and it was going to be a letter that celebrated the grace and the goodness of God. How many love those kind of sermons? But by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he turns a different direction because of some things that have started happening in the church. And I feel Jude's pain here as a leader. I want to preach about the grace and the goodness of God uh, all the time. But sometimes we have to address tough situation and tough subject. Sometimes it's not all happy. Sometimes it's medicine and not all right. And so I, I can understand it. So here he is, and he's saying, hey, there's an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room here, or, or there's cultural wrongs here, and we need to address this because some things are not lining up with who God says he is and what the culture says. So he's, he's, he's basically pulling those together. And he's, he says this, I want to talk about having a relationship with Jesus versus a belief system. So, so I said that, having a relationship with Jesus, I believe that when you're saved, you have a relationship with Jesus. But there's a difference between having a relationship with Jesus and having a belief system about Jesus. There's, there's a lot of people in the world who say they're Christians that have a belief system but don't necessarily have a relationship with Jesus. There is a difference. There is a difference. I can have a belief system about something, but that doesn't mean that I'm sold out to that. But let me tell you, when I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm sold out to Jesus. Because I know him. He knows me. And I love that. And so uh, the world says that the Christian belief system is antiquated and doesn't always fit modern society. You know what I say? So what? Oh, that's tough, I know. Sometimes you got to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, enough's enough. Um, the world system says, says that oftentimes about, well, you, you're antiquated in the way you think, and you guys should be 
be be more, you know, uh, allow just this and that. You guys should think this way, and, and it doesn't work. But let me tell you something. This is what I've learned. The word of God is eternal. It will be here long after America has fallen and after modern society, Western society has fallen. Okay? Now you're like, man, that was really strong. That's a strong statement. But let me tell you something where my loyalty lies. I love my nation. I love this country with all my heart. I think it's the best nation in the world. It's, it's, my, it's what I believe, okay? As a true American, hear my heart. I love this nation, but I am a pilgrim in this land. And I am just here occupying this space until I get a chance to go to heaven. Amen. And so that's that's where I'm at, and that's where my heart is, and that's why I can I can get on board with Jude because Jude's like, you know what? I, I wanna I wanna he's jumping out there. So let me get too far ahead of myself here. The issue is when you or I have an experience with a real relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not just what I believe; it's how I live. It changes. It's transformational. It's not a bunch of rules. It's I get to do this because Jesus and I have a relationship. It's so awesome. Um, and here's the thing. I can listen to sermons all day long. There are five bazillion sermons. You can find any podcast and listen to people all day long. Nothing wrong with that. I can attend church services every time the doors are open. And let me tell you, I can even go a step further. I can understand scripture but still not let it penetrate my heart. That's called a belief system versus a relationship. So when I have a real encounter with Jesus and a real relationship with Jesus, his word, it penetrates my heart. And there's a change within me. I don't know about you. How many want the word of God to penetrate your hearts? All right. I, I, I like this. You guys are with me tonight. Uh, you might say this. Say, TJ, you're a little narrow-minded. And I say this. Yes, I am when it comes to the doctrine of, of the Bible. I am. And you're not going to shake me because you know what? Like I said, this is the eternal word of God. It will be here long after you're dead. Guess what? It still stands. It's proven time and time again. It's still the number one selling book of all time. Still today. It's not going to change. And so we have to understand. So I, this is what we need to know about our belief system. If we have a belief system, understand this. Our hearts, scripture tells us in Proverbs, our hearts are deceitful. And if a man creates a belief system, it will have errors. It will fall. It won't last. And oftentimes society and culture norms come and go, right? Some things that were popular in the 60s have disappeared now. They come, they go, they come back, you know. And time and time again, but can I tell you something? The word of God will last forever. All right, got to get that in your heart to understand this. Isaiah 48 uh, says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. You can take that to the bank. You can put all your trust in, in money and the stock, in the, in the stock. You could do whatever you, you could put all your trust in the, in, the, in the military. You could do all those things. But let me tell you, those things are going to fall and they're going to fail and they're going to mess up. But let me tell you, the word of God will stand. So like Jude, time to time, um, we often, sometimes as ministers, we have to address things. We have to 
that don't line up with the word of God. And so and that's what he's doing here. He's talking about false teachers. And sometimes in the church and sometimes in our society and sometimes it creeps into us personally. Sometimes we all have to be corrected. Everyone look at yourself and say, sometimes I got to be corrected. <laughs> Even me. All right, verse 4 says this. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were uh, designated for, for this condemnation. Uh, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So in the early church, there are some false teachers who had crept in and they were seeking to rob and rip off God's people. They were shysters. Do we still have shysters today? That's why we got to have our discernment on. Got to be listening to the, what the Lord's really speaking, okay? There are some very gifted people. Doesn't mean that they're right. You need to look at their doctrinal stance, okay? And, and they were perverting uh, their understanding and keeping, uh, keeping them from enjoying God's blessing. So, so what, is, what is heresy? And, and where, what were they preaching and what were they teaching? This is what they were doing. If you want to write this down, two things that they were doing. They were, they were perverting God's grace. That's the first thing they were doing. And I'll, I'll dive into that in just a minute. And the second thing they were doing, they denied the authority of the Lord. Those two things, perverting God's grace and they were denying the authority of the Lord. So Jesus warned of these type of teachers in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says they were wolves in sheep's clothing. Notice they may look the part. They may look like a Christian. They may have sheep's clothing, but they are not. And Jesus even warned us that we have to be careful for those type of people. And uh, so go back to the, the perversion of God's grace. What does that mean? Um, they were preaching grace, which is correct, but they were preaching grace, uh, the grace of God with lewdness. So what does that mean? So they were teaching grace, and here's the thing. Grace can be can be a dangerous thing when it's perverted by carnal or false teachers. It can. It can be mis, 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 <laughs> messed up, and it can and people can get a distorted view of what God's grace truly is. And so, so they they were. It was perverted by carnal or false teachers that teach that because you are saved by grace that you can live how you want. Not my words. This is Jude. Okay, this is this is what he's addressing here. He's saying, listen. I know God's grace has got you. Listen, it's got you, but listen, that doesn't give you a free card to go live exactly like you want. Now, it sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? When you, when you start comparing these guys, you're kind of like, man, those guys must have talked because they are talking in the same lines here. I, I, and so that's where he's saying, he's saying this. He says, just because you're saved by grace, you cannot live just how you want to. Now, I, and here's something that I've heard. Today we hear the message of hyper grace. Grace, 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 grace. And I don't want to take anything from God's grace because it is sufficient. That is 100%. You can take it to the bank. God's grace, his love is there, but it isn't cheap. God's grace is sufficient, but let me tell you something. His grace was not cheap. It cost him his son. So we need to understand that as believers, we, we can't just have sloppy grace. 
in our lives. And so when we willfully use that to live immorally, and that's what was happened, or to the flesh, or even sin. And, and it's true that his grace is sufficient, but God's grace is not cheap. I like that. The teacher, teachers here, the false teachers were immoral and they denied the authority of Christ. Here's the second thing. seems like more and more I hear of pastors who are having some sort of moral failures. Let me tell you something. You can be very gifted and you can have a lot of gifting, but let me tell you something. Your integrity is what will sustain you. As a person of God, your integrity matters. All right? And I hear, I hear of churches, in, in order to be more inclusive, saying that the word of God is infallible. Let me tell you something. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. It's like, well, we're just trying to be more inclusive to people. Let me tell you something. God draws a line. And I, I'm going I'm to give you, Jude's going to give you some examples in a minute. I heard a story this week of a church in Tennessee um, that they were apologizing and saying, hey, you know, maybe maybe the Bible isn't 100% correct. And maybe maybe there's some some room for some changes. And let me tell you something. I pray for that church, and I pray for those people because they have been deceived. Now, 1 Timothy 4, chapter 1, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he talks about doctrines of demons. And that is a doctrine of demons because if it goes against the authority of God, it is a doctrine of demons. Okay? So I, I, was, I, was th I was thinking about that. So what is that? Anything that takes away, what is the doctrine, a, 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 a doctrine of demons? It is anything that takes away from the authority of Christ. All right. So the word Lord in verse 4 there in the Greek means master. You can go back over that, that verse. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and what Lord or master, Jesus Christ. And so, and, and that literally means one who possesses power and demands obedience. Does Jesus possess power? Did he beat hell in the grave? Can Jesus do what he wants if he wants to do it? Absolutely. But does Jesus just let us have, a, have this where we could just live exactly how we want? Or does he ask of us to be obedient? That's the master. Okay, verse 5 says this. Now I want to remind you, and I pray, I pray that I can get through this book tonight. I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling my Holy Ghost right now. I'm sorry. It's just, it's, this is burning in me. Verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, so the, the foundational theme of this book can be summed up. And, and if you look forward to, to verse 21, it says, it's this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Everyone look at your neighbor say, keep yourself in the love of God. And uh, so we need to know this. In verse 5, yes, there are heretics and there are deceivers. But you believers, keep yourselves in the love of God. And listen, it is the hinge on which the book of Jude swings is this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. you got to keep yourselves in the love of God. You can say it like this. Get under the spout where God's blessings come out. Keep yourselves under the love of God. That's, a, that's like old, old school right there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I ain't heard that in 100 years, you know. I'm glad that you're here and you're 100 years old. All right. All right. Keeping ourselves is not uh, something that we can do or earn. Okay? 
Romans 5.8 tells us this, and it declares this, Paul says this, that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet, while we were yet, who died for us? Christ died for us. I, I love that. So when, when did God dis- demonstrate his love for us? Before I even knew I needed a Savior. Not while we were, were being good little Christians, but when we were pagans, heathens, and, and rebels. Rebels without a cause. Some of you guys living like James Dean up in here. Some of you older folks know what I'm talking about. Some of you younger folks may not. I don't know. But God, can I tell you this? God loved you deeply when you didn't even care about him. That's just the way it works. And, and oftentimes, and I think our, our mentality, we think God is Santa Claus and you you know, you got to be good, right? We tell our you kids in here. We tell our kids, you know, hey, be good or Santa Claus isn't coming, right? We use that to kind of help them to be good throughout the year. Some of you are like, I've been telling my kid that. They're 17 years old. I'm still telling them that, right? And But God is not Santa Claus. His love is steadfast. It's real, and it's redemptive. And God doesn't look at a list and check it twice. Because I can tell you this, because Colossians 2.14 says, that our list of fallings was blotted out by the blood of Christ. So once it's under the blood, God's done forgot about it. Can't earn that. It's just that's just what God, he does it. He does it. He knows that. And my list of sins were nailed to the cross and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you happy for that? Man, I'm so grateful that, man, if, if you guys, I mean, you could probably look at, your, do you ever just look at yourself and say, man, God, I just don't deserve to be where I am you've just been too good to me anybody ever feel that way I feel that way all the time I feel like man God who am I but thank you Lord for your redemption and for your blood that covers all my sins and God's love is not based on anything we do or don't do it's unconditional he still loves you when you when you mess up he still loves you Reminds me of my kids. Guess what? When they mess up, I still love them. I might be a little bit angry at them, but I still love them. So what does it mean to keep yourself in his love then? Keep yourself in the place where you can receive blessings. I said that, you know, get under the spout where God's blessings come out. Lamentations 3.23 says God's blessings are always coming down. His blessings are always coming down. Now, Now listen. If I'm not feeling blessed and I have to come, I have to come to this conclusion that I've moved out from under the spout where his blessings are coming out. Because Lamentations 3, 23, and I'm going to take God's word to the bank. It says his blessings are constantly coming down. And if I'm not being blessed, then somebody's moved. And guess who it is? Am I suggesting, is it possible for a person uh, to remove himself from the place of God's blessing? And I say, yes. And look, Jude gives us some great examples. Listen to this. It says this, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, that goes to show you that Jesus was around. You know, I mean, we didn't, you know, it, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just put an end to this. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was what? With God, right? Which is Jesus. So Jesus has been around right here. And I like how Jude says that, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, being part of the Godhead was there, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So here's our groups of three. Here's the first one. You ready? Jude reminds us of the Israelites who were delivered by God from Egypt. 400 years. 400 years they were slaves in Egypt. And I, 
I talked a little bit about this. God raised up Moses and worked powerfully through him. And ten plagues, right? Ten plagues upon the, the people of, of Egypt. And then they were released. And then they made it to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army was right there on their, on their tails. God parted the sea for them. And they, they went across unharmed. And then, and then he unleashed the, 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 the sea fury all over the Egyptian army and drowned them that day. And God gave them a great victory. They went from slaves to free just in a matter of time. How many want that in your life? That's, 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 that's the redemption of God. That's what God does. And then what happened is they made it to, to Kadesh Barnea, which, you know, which is the promised land. And they're there and they're about to go into the promised land. And you talked about this on, on Sunday in your prayer time. They, they sent 12 spies in. And guess what? Ten spies are, are nameless to this day because they didn't have a good report. Can you name any of the ten that didn't want to go in? Didn't think you could. You know why? Because if you don't do something, you don't get notice. If you don't take a step of faith, you don't get noticed. Guess who you do remember? Caleb and Joshua. You know why? Because they came back with a good report. So, so the ten, they came back and they're like, we're scared. There's giants in the land. There's a whole bunch of Shaquille O'Neal's over there. And they want to palm our heads like basketballs. And we're scared and we're, we're like grasshoppers to them. But then you got these two spies, Caleb and Joshua, and they, they brought a good report. And they were talking about... There's giants over there, but, man, you guys got to see these grapes. Man, grapes, huge clusters. Let's talk about that. And everyone's concerned about that. And, and, the, and the scripture tells us uh, there in Numbers 14, 19, these two guys said, hey, uh, they are, uh, there are giants, but they would be like bread to us. We will eat them up, kind of like Wyatt. Nom, 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 nom. Got some kind of bread in the house? Guess what? My kid, it's gone. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? And these guys are saying, hey, it's no problem for God. It's no problem for God. We, this is what God has called us to do. And because they didn't believe in the assurance of God's love and his provision, because they didn't want to stay where the blessing was being poured out, guess what happened? God made them go wander in the desert for 40 years, and a whole generation didn't make it into the promised land. Talk about, can you move out of the blessings of God? Yeah, you can. All right, look at this. Uh, verse 6 says this. Next example right here. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he was kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of great day. So secondly, not only can those delivered by God fail to keep themselves in the love of God, but so can those who are Worshippers of God. I want you to look at something here. This is this is this is great. This is some good teaching right here. Okay, so many of you know, and maybe you don't know, Lucifer, the devil, Beelzebub, any other name you want to you want to you give him, was was the worship leader of heaven. Was one of the archangels that God had created. Matter of fact, God made him last and made him great, Lucifer. Okay, he was. Uh, if you if you look at Ezekiel chapter twenty eight, you can you can learn. And, and listen, those things are great. But let me tell you something, Lucifer was created by God. He's not even close to what God can do. Okay, you need to understand something. I, I don't want to ever give Lucifer any credit that he does not deserve. But God did create him, and he was the worship leader in heaven. And he had, I mean, you can look at this, and, and, and you can study this out. But he had all this music that would just come out of him in heaven. 
or like he had pianos and organs, and, and, and that was him. And in the process, okay, he had jewels. I mean, you, you can look all this up. But in the process of Jesus Christ, the light of heaven was beaming off of him, and he saw a reflection, and he saw people worshiping. And he got this rebellious heart inside that said, hey, they want to worship me. Pride. 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 A lot of people say, well, what's the, what's the original sin? Pride. And you guys know he was cast out of heaven, and he, he had this, and he grabbed a third of the demons followed him. Imagine that, a third of the demons. He convinced a third of the demons or angels in heaven to follow him, fallen, fallen demons. And, and so here we go. So they're worshipers in heaven, and they became demons in hell because they didn't keep themselves in the love of God. What are you saying, TJ? Hey, listen. I can know what the blessing is. I can be like the children of Israel, know that God's blessing is there, and I can miss it there. But I can also be a worshiper. Listen, I can raise my hands. I can cry. I can, I can be the most boisterous, loudest worshiper, but still get it wrong. So look at this. Verse 7 says this. Here's the third example. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, and, and pursued unnatural desires. Did you catch that? Unnatural desires. You can look that up. You can go home and study that. You'll, you'll find out some really revealing things. Unnatural desires serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like, uh, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous, uh, a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I told you God's better than, than any of the archangels. The Lord rebuke you. Uh, but these people blaspheme all that they do, uh, do not understand. Sound like some people today? Sometimes people don't understand things, so they just they blaspheme. They they say things about that. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know their fate. Most of you have learned that. The third thing is not only can we be a worshiper of God, but you can receive a blessing from God and still fail to keep yourself in his love. How many have ever received a blessing from God? All right, listen, I think our nation, America, is a blessed nation. Do you believe that? I believe that our nation is a blessed nation. But listen to this. Sodom and Gomorrah were cities that were blessed by God originally. They were. They were, they were, they were great places. There was a lot of agricultural stuff going on there. They were an epicenter, okay? And they were uh, the place to be. And it kind of reminds me of our nation. And Abraham, he's there with his, his, his nephew Lot. And he gives Lot the option. He says, hey, Lot, you decide where you want to go. And what does Lot do? He licks his chops and he says, hey, I know what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. There's, there's, there's a chance to make some money over there. I can do really good. So I'm going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm going to go over there. And he chose that place. And you remember Abraham went the opposite direction because there was some fussing going on there. And because the fields were fertile and life was booming there. 
And then the city turns its back on God and we're eventually destroyed. And I don't know about you, but this is sobering to me when I think about this and when I these three stories. And I say this, listen, three things here. So you're saved like the children of Israel. But they were wandering in, in the wilderness because they missed the blessing of God. I say this, so you've been a worshiper. So were all the angels in heaven and a third of them fell. So you've been blessed. So were so was Lot and his family, but the city of Sodom and Gomorrah fell to depravity. I don't know about you, but when I think about those things, I can't help but get a little somber in my heart and realize, hey, you know what? Maybe there's some areas in my life where I haven't moved where the blessing of God was. Maybe I thought, oh, I can do it on my own. Or, God, I'll, I'll wait. I'm not sure I'm ready to go into the promised land. Or, God, I feel like that this is the opportunity that you're giving this. And God's like, man, you don't want to go over there to Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't know what's about to happen. And some of us have experienced deliverances and worshiped God and seen and been blessed and still cannot keep ourselves uh, in the love of God. And can I tell you this? I've said it a couple times. Get under the spout where God's blessings are at. Stay right there. Three examples. Jude goes on further to give us three explanations. So there was, we had three examples, so now we're going to have three explanations. Thank you, Jude. He just, he just makes it so easy for a teacher. Verse 11 says this. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. So what's the way of Cain? You guys know the story of Cain and Abel, right? How, how <laughs> you know, how, uh, so, so Cain, his main issue can be brought up in one word, anger. Anger. So here's an explanation, anger. Look at this. Cain was angry with his brother and God. I don't even know if he was necessarily as angry with his brother as he was with God. You guys know what happened. And so God blessed Abel's sacrifice of a lamb, but not Cain's offering, which was fruits and vegetables. And he got angry, and anger took root in Cain's heart. And guess what he did? He did something crazy. He killed his brother. When you kill someone, there's an anger issue. I pray none of you have ever killed anybody in here, all right? But when you kill someone, there's an angry issue. If you're Now listen to me, listen to me. If you're angry with your spouse, bitter towards your boss, unforgiving to your brother, you have gone the way of Cain. You've let some anger settle in your heart. And, and I like this because Jude's pretty straightforward here. He's saying, hey, people of God, false teachers, this is what you watch out for anger. Don't let that take root in your life. It will pull you away from the place where God's love abounds and his blessing abounds on you. It will draw you away from the spout where God's blessings are at. So here's the second thing. And abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir. So Balaam's issue was greed. If you look at the story of Balaam, you remember the king wants him to uh, put a curse on the nation. And, and, it, and it's all based on money. You know, you can, you can spend your whole life trying to make as much money. And I've said this many times. You, and you can, you can make as much money in this life, but you can't take any of it with you. 
And you can put it in your grave with you, but listen, it ain't going to do nobody any good there. And if you do have a lot of money, guess what? Your kids are going to spend it anyways. So Balaam, there's the issue of greed. And so he, he addresses that. Jude talks about that. He abandoned himself for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir. How often in our lives are we greedy? I, I, this, this almost piggybacks off what I talked about last week in, in the fourth chapter about when Paul said, hey, I've learned this about being in a Christian is being content in all things. You know what? When I'm content, guess what? I don't have to have more. Do we live in a consumer-driven society where we got to have the latest phone and we got to have the newest car and we got right now we're just trying to make sure our cars have gas, right? We'll leave that one alone. But we're drawn to greed. Now, we're all susceptible to greed, right? We're all susceptible to anger. We're all susceptible to greed. I think Jude really hits the nail on the head here. He's talking to believers here. I'm going to get to this in a minute. So let's look at the third one. And perished in Korah's rebellion. So what was Korah's rebellion? What was, her, what was his issue? I almost said her issue. What was his issue? Envy. Everyone say envy. Let me ask you this. Can you get angry? Can you be greedy? Can you be envious? All right. I think Jude's, Jude's he's, he's, he's telling us some things. So Korah led a rebellion against Moses and the people of Israel. And he said, I have as much a right to lead this nation as you do. How often have we been at work and thought, man, I deserve that position and not that person. You know what that is? That's envy. God, when's my turn? When's this going to happen for me? And it led to 15,000 Israelites' deaths. And listen, the ground opened up around Korah, and it sucked him in. Not a good ending. I don't know about you. That would be a terrible way to go. And beware of envy or, or wanting someone else's position or someone else's uh, whatever they have. Joseph's brothers, you remember the story. They were jealous of him because his dad had given him a coat. And they were angry with him because his dad showed him a little bit more. He was a little special. He was the youngest. You know, I'm the youngest of the family. Listen, I can get away with things from my mom that my brother and sister couldn't get away with. You know why? Because I was her last child and she was just going to love on me just a little bit more. But that's the way Joseph was. And so his brothers, they got upset with him. And his dad gave him a coat. And this coat, what you need to know about this coat is not just because it's flashy and had a lot of colors. But it had it had uh, it had sleeves, and in these sleeves, these coats were designed for people who were kind of like you know, they were the boss, and they would keep papers and important things. And so, so knowing that his brothers, they're out there like, man, why does he get that? A little envious of him. And what did they do? You know the story. And they they threw they threw him down in the pit, and then they they took his 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 coat, they ripped it up, they put goat's blood on it. And, and then they sold him into slavery, and they told, told their dad that he died by some wild animal. That's pretty vicious. I got a mean brother and sister, but not that mean. And they were jealous of him. But little did they know that a coat on Joseph would also lead to his imprisonment. Later on, he gets a little further into Egypt. He's at Potiphar's house, and he has a coat again. Potiphar's wife, she likes him. She says, boy, he's a good-looking guy. Potiphar's not around. Guess what? She tries to, to woo him, and what does he do? He lets his coat come off, and he runs away. 
And what does she do? She, when Potiphar comes home, she reigns. He said, man, the head slave trying to take advantage of me. And guess what? He's thrown into prison. Now, listen, you need to be careful. What are you saying today? You need to be careful if you're envious of someone else's position because you don't know where that position may take them. They may go in a pit. They may be in prison for a while before they get to where God has them going. So be careful what you, what you, what you uh, don't envy because someone's position or success because you may not understand the price they will have to pay to get to their destiny. Now listen, understand something. If it would have been me, I wouldn't have done what Jude did. I would not have chosen anger and greed and envy to talk about as the reasons people move away from God's blessing. But let me tell you something. There's some real practicality to this. It's pretty simple. I would have said this. Hey, you know what keeps people out of the blessing of God? Drugs, pornography, and murder. If I was writing this, that's what I would have put, you know. Because those things, guess what? They're not my problem. But you know what I do struggle with? Anger. Greed and envy. And Jude, man, I think being led by the Holy Spirit, I think he, he pretty much hits the nail on the head. And sometimes it, it's a little tough, but sometimes we got to take a look at our life and say, God, you know what you're doing, and God, I need your help. All right. So we often think that it's only the big sins that will take us away from God's blessing, but often in reality, as believers, it's the subtleness of these little things in our lives that prevent us from being under the blessing, okay? And Jude says this to you and to me, that there are three areas that we need to be on guard about in our lives as believers, okay? Those three areas, we talked about that. We talked about anger, greed, and envy. And so look at this. Verse 12 says this. These are hidden reefs at your, at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Uh, this certain... These certain men crept in unnoticed. So let's look at this. There, there was Korah, there was Cain, and there was Balaam. And they all endangered God's people by simply wooing them away from God's grace. Talking about false teachers, okay? Understand this. And, and he's using these guys as an example. And Jude calls them spots or hidden reefs and rocks. Anybody ever been to the reefs where you go out? And, and anybody ever walk barefoot on reefs? Don't do it. Not fun. Hurts. <laughs> Doesn't feel good. Anybody ever walk on rocks in the creek? Yeah, it's kind of like that. You just get a jagged rock and you step on a snapping turtle and it takes off on you. Anybody ever done that? I did that once. All right. But Jude calls them spots or hidden reefs or rocks. And they join the fellowship and they come to the church dinners and they come to the church meetings. But let me tell you something. They all, these false teachers have hidden agendas. They'll blend in, but eventually will cause you to crash. And here are some strangers, or so here are some stronger metaphors for false teachers that, that Jude talks about. Here's the next one. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds. That's the first thing he says. They're like clouds with no water. They seem to say all sorts of wonderful things, but their teaching leads only to dry, discouraging days. How about this? Here's what he says also about false teachers. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. <laughs> Pretty straight to the point. They're not producing fruit because they were dead. They have no fruit. Jesus' parable of the fig tree, and I, I mentioned that a few weeks back, and, and how 
oftentimes when, when that parable and he, he's telling them, the owner of the vineyard is like, hey, he's telling the keeper of the vineyard, he said, cut that tree down because it's not producing fruit. And the, and the vineyard worker says, hey, give me one more year. Let me, let, me, let me dig out the roots. Let me throw some manure down there. Let's see if it, if it can produce fruit, okay? But these trees are fruitless. And this is, listen, we got to be discerning as the people of God, as the people we listen to, the people that we hear teach. We need to, we need to be observant of that and say, hey, are they producing fruit? All right. Look at this, verse 13, wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame. They're wild waves. They have a lot of motion but are erratic, meaningless, and wasted energy. I don't want to be that, Lord. Look at this, next one, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness have been reserved forever. And so finally Jude compares the false teachers as fallen stars. And I've been, I've been saved a while, and while... Uh, I've seen some people come in with some some different doctrines, and and I've seen them come in, and then I've seen them disappear. Anybody been saved a while? Anybody been saved 10 years, 20 years? When you've been in church a while, you see people kind of roll through with some doctrine, and then then they they disappear. And then then someone starts talking about it and be like, oh, yeah, you remember a few years back when that wacky guy came through and was was preaching heresy, and and then then all of a sudden you remember them, right? But here's what they do. They go from place to place to place to place to place. Right, and so when when you've done that, they uh, we we need to understand that, and we need to we need to keep our hearts guarded. Okay, because there are listen. If I I, I mentioned I said this last week, I said if I only preach grace, 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 I fatten the sheep. But if I don't ever warn people, I'm just fattening people up for the slaughter. And listen, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm not saying. I should be really scared and, you know, no, no, I just think he needs to be discerning. Listen, that's why we walk in the spirit. So the spirit will help us lead and guide us. And we'll, we'll feel that in our hearts. And if someone, something's not right, something, the Holy Spirit will be like, something's not right here. We just need to take a moment. So here's the last thing. A call. Um, oh, verse 14 says this. It was also. Was that where I was at? Verse 14. Yes, verse 14. Thank you. I got myself straightened out here. Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones. Fifth, uh, verse 15. To execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly for all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16. These are grumblers. Malcontents, following their own sinful desires, look at your neighbor and say, don't be a grumbler. Don't be a malcontent. Don't follow your own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a loudmouth. Don't be a boaster. Showing favoritism to gain advantage. So the same problems Jude is addressing affect the body of Christ today. There are people that are false teachers. Now, listen, there's, there are good teachers. There are some great teachers. I'm not saying you got to throw everybody under the bus here because, you know, some doctors are bad. Most doctors are good, right? In every, every career, everything, there are some good people. There are some bad people, right? Is anybody with me? All right. There are some good judges. There are some bad judges. It's just, it's just the way it is. But listen, 
We need to understand false teachers mouthing great swelling words continue to peddle their phony doctrine to anyone who will listen. I think sometimes we open ourselves up to people that we don't necessarily need to open ourselves up to. There's been times where I've listened to someone, someone's been like, hey, can you listen to this sermon? And I'll turn it on and I'll be like, mm, no. Not going to do it. You know why? Not because I don't like that person or anything like that. It's just because their doctrine, listen, the everlasting word of God, Stan, was not right. And, and we got to be wise in this time to know, hey, what's right? If it doesn't line up with this, it's not for me. That's it. That's it. So if you've been around any very long, you'll learn that strange winds of doctrines blow in, and as soon as one is gone, guess what? Another one comes along, right? All right, so I like this, a call to preserve. And I'm going to try to drill through these last little parts here. Verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers. We have scoffers. Following their own godly passions. Do we see that today? All right. Uh, verse 19. It is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. All right. Look at this. Happy is the man or woman who understands the gospel message is simply profound and profoundly simple. I want to help you out here. Can I tell you what the gospel message is? It's Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing else, and nothing less. That's it. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified, raising from the dead. That's the gospel message. You want to keep it simple? Love God, love others. All right. And after giving us three examples of people who walked away from God's love, he gave us Three explanations, which we just talked about. And he gave us, and now he's going to give us three exhortations to keep yourself in love of God. How many want to be in the spout where God's blessing comes out? All right. I like this. So he, he kind of takes us full circle here. He's going to bring us back around, okay? Remember, he's talking to believers here. He's talking to believers here. Verse 20 says this. But you, beloved. Oh, I love this phrase. But you, beloved. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Everyone read that with me. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Here's the first thing. This is going to keep you it, under the blessings of God right here. Number one, build yourself up. What does that mean? The first thing to do is to keep, to keep, uh, to keep, Yourself and under God's blessing is to do this. So how do I do that? It's simply, it's real simple. It's this. The Bible tells us that faith comes by what? And hearing the word of God. Faith comes by and hearing the Romans 10, 17. That's it. You want to build yourself up? Open this up. Plain and simple. Now, I get it. Now, we're busy. We all have times, and, and there's, there's different things. But let's, when you prioritize the word of God in your life, you'll find out that this thing will lift you up. This thing will help you out. 
every problem that you could ever face in your life, there's an answer right here. There is an answer in this book for every situation that you could ever face. So to keep yourself in the love of God means to be a student of his word. Do you love the word of God? It'll never penetrate your heart until you love it. When you love the word of God and you begin to read it and you begin to meditate on it and you begin to, to take it and, and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you, let the words of, that, of the Bible begin to speak into your heart, it will change you. Don't take my words on it. Here's the problem. I don't know, I'm going to step on some toes here. Some of us get our only Bible from the pastor. find it an honor to be able to give you the word of God but some of us never pick up the Bible to read it on our own and listen you got to build yourself up that's what Jude's saying build yourself up guess what I'm going to do my best I'm going to bring the word of God and I'm going to try to to just give it to you with all I got but listen you can do a whole lot of good throughout the week on your own build yourself up so you take it in daily, making it a practice of spending time in Scripture and prioritizing it by assembling together with others and saints to hear the Word of God. That's why we're here tonight. We're, we're coming to learn. We're, we're learning together. We're growing together. Iron sharpens iron. We're getting better. And, and, and we're being stretched, and we hear the Word of God, and we learn the Word of God, Hebrews 10.25 tells us. So here's the second point right here. He goes on to say, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I'm glad that you guys all asked. Two things. Two things. It means for it means to ask for the Holy Spirit to inspire your prayers. Have you ever had someone pray for you and it's like they knew everything about you and they didn't even really know who you were and you're like, man, how did they know about this thing going on in my life? You know what that is? That's inspiration of the Holy Spirit leading someone. That's what that is. Being inspired. So, so my tendency is to come to the Lord with my ideals and my agendas. Anybody pray like that? All of us. God, this is what I want. God, this is what you should do. God, this, 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 this. So I, this is what I have to do. I have to come to you, Lord, asking your spirit to guide me and inspire me on what to pray for and how to pray. Help me to pray biblically and to be guided by your Holy Spirit. Yeah, pray biblically. There's a way to pray biblically. We don't have time to get into it tonight. Maybe we'll cover that at some point. Sometimes when I don't know what to pray, man, and some of the old church mamas know about this. You just sometimes you just gotta just groan. Now I grew up a little bit here, a little bit there, but I lived in the South for a while, and there were some mothers, church mothers down there that would groan in prayer. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, man, I wish I had that again, right? And they begin to groan. And I don't know what to pray, but I can do this. I may not know what to say, but I can groan and be like, hmm. You know, Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes when we don't know what to say, sometimes all we do is go, hmm. That's all I got. Secondly, for those who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, we pray in tongues. We're speaking in tongues. <laughs> I like this one right here. 
And Paul would say, I pray with the spirit and I also pray with understanding. So Paul's saying, hey, not only do I speak in tongues, but I also speak in English or speak in whatever he, language he was speaking in so you guys can understand. But I'm going, to, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit utter things from within my heart to God. When we are infilled, when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. When we speak in tongues, what does that mean? So some of you may, may not come from a Pentecostal background. What does that mean exactly? When I speak in tongues, when I'm praying to the Lord, when I don't know what to pray, the Spirit of God will utter things for me. When I don't know what to pray, I may groan, but then I may be speaking in tongues, and the Spirit is interceding on my behalf. I don't know what to pray for myself. The Holy Spirit's like, he needs this. He wants this. That's why it's important. That's why it didn't die with the apostles. We need that. Paul is saying, hey, I speak in tongues more than any of you. He says it just in, 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 uh, in 1 Corinthians. He talks about that. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for me and it intercedes for you. And these prayers, listen, when, when we're speaking in tongues, we're praying to God. I thought about this. Those prayers are perfect because my agenda is not stuck in there. God just saying, hey, this is what I want. It just doesn't know how to articulate it. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 2. He says, pursue love. Look, I want you to notice that what he says first. Pursue love. Uh, before you have a gift of the Spirit, you have, you have a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, they go together. They go hand in hand, okay. And I don't want to get into that. But pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. The benefit of speaking in tongues is so I can talk to God, okay? For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So I encourage those of you who have not exercised the gift, and the scripture tells us that it's a free gift that God wants to give you. He said he would give us a comforter, and I'll talk about this a little bit on Sunday. And, and, and have been, those of you who have not received the gift and been baptized by the Holy Spirit to continue to seek out the gift of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It'll change your prayer life. Now, the reason that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is so we'll be the Lord's witnesses. It's to give us power, to give us boldness, okay? It's not just so I can speak in tongues. That's just an extra benefit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. All right. You guys with me? All right. Good, good, good. Uh, this is what I know about when, when we're, here's what happens. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what happens. Our minds will rebel against us. I don't understand this, God. I don't know what's going on. I, your mind will ask, why am I doing this? But in verse 5 in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that he wishes that you all spoke in other tongues. Everybody. So it's for all of us. And it's good for you and it's good for your prayer life. And it will set things in motion in your life that you didn't realize you needed to be set in motion. Being led by the Spirit and groaning. And the Spirit using in prayer. And when we don't know what to pray the Lord will inspire us, and we can also lead in uh, prayer by speaking in tongues. Verse 21 says this, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So lastly, the last one here, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Man, you've heard me say that over the last little bit. I've been teaching on that. How many are excited? For the second coming of Jesus Christ. I talked about that last week. I said this. I said, hey, if we got a busload tonight, who would go? And I was shocked. Almost everybody raised their hand. 
I am just a pilgrim here. I'm, I'm just here momentarily, okay? So when we do this, when we start to, to direct our attention towards the second coming of Jesus Christ, it affects my priorities and my agenda. My emotions are held in check when I look for his return. It kind of reminds me of the last day of school. The last day of school, what's going on in school isn't really important because I'm about to get out of school. Right? Your mind is there. That's what we should be like here on earth as Christians. Like, man, we're on the last day of school. We're about to go to heaven. We're here, but we're not here. Oh, all this stuff's going on? Doesn't matter. God's good. You know how you can have peace in those moments? Think about the Lord's return. One of the things I love when I call my dad, and he's like, Dad, I'll, I'll, I'll call him, and I'll be like, Dad, what are you doing? Oh, this, this, this. I'm like, how are you? And I'm like, what do you know? And he's like, I know Jesus, and I know he's coming back. And I'm like, you're right, Dad, straight up, you're right. And I love that. When you're, when you're struggling, when you don't know what to do, start to think about the second coming of Jesus and how he's going to come and he's going to return. Man, that's awesome. I love that. Stay in the word. Pray in the spirit and look for Jesus' return. Three things you can do to keep yourself under the spout where God's blessings come, come out. They're very practical, they're very workable, and they're very doable for the people of God. Listen, I'm going to break it down. Here's three, three more things you can add. It's faith, love, and hope. It's faith, love, and hope. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says, uh, it says this, faith by reading and hearing the word of God. We said that, right? Faith comes by hearing. That's number one. It's love. By praying in the spirit. Okay, Galatians 5.22, if you need a reference there. It's hope by looking for Jesus soon to return. Titus 2.13, 2, verse 22. I'm going I'm I'm to hustle through this real fast. And have mercy on those who doubt. Verse 23. Uh, save others by snatching them out of the fire to others. Show mercy with fear. So what about those who have been affected by those false teachers? There are some people who just lose their way, right, at times. So what are we supposed to do? And how should we respond to those people? Two things. I think Jude gives us two things. To some, we show compassion. Sometimes we just got to be gentle, long-suffering, be patient with them, love on them until they see the light. How many are happy that somebody was gentle, patient with you, and waited until you saw the light, and then you, God showed you, right? So that's the first thing we can do. Others, however, we have to grab by the nap of the neck. Sometimes that's me. Anybody ever been there? And saying, you need to get your course corrected. Right? And you got to grab them and pull them out of their destructive stuff. Not, not judging them, but lovingly saying, hey, you know better than this. You're better than this. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon in 1741 in Massachusetts. He had poor eyesight. And he read the sermon almost verbatim. He looked down and he read the sermon. And this sermon, some of you have, have read, it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he uses an illustration in that. And if you haven't ever read that, you need to look it up. It will challenge you. But he uses an illustration in there about uh, how we are like a spider dangling over a fire. And there's one fine thread that's holding us up. And that's God's grace. And he preached that sermon, and after he preached that sermon, people came in droves and gave their life to Christ. And that was the beginning of the Great Awakening here in uh, America. It wasn't America at that point, but it would be America, okay? And some of you can minister through compassion, stressing the goodness of God. And Paul says, Romans 2, 4, that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. However, sometimes there are some people that are a little bit more knucklehead, like me. 
Jesus got grabbed by the nape of the neck and said, hey, come on. And the key is this, being discerning to who the person you're talking to. You got to know, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, help me to know how to address this. Look at this, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. The Old Testament talks about lepers, and when they were healed or when they were made clean, they had to take their garments. You know what they did with their garments? Burned them. And this is a picture of our sin today. Jude's saying this, he's using this analogy. When you are dealing with folks who are caught up in perversion, make sure that you're not affected. All right. Save the man, but not the garment. Okay, save the man, not the garment. And here's the end right here, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You're struggling. All right, look at this. There's, there's encouragement here. Here's glory to God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Verse 25, final verse. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Finally, after all the warnings and knocking us around spiritually for a while, Jude leaves us with a place of rest right in the, right in the hands of God. Three things here, Practic practical things. Stay in the word of God, pray in the spirit, look for the Lord's coming. John 13, 17 says this, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We know what to do. And like Jesus said in John, we'll be blessed if we simply do them. I don't know about you, but I love the simplicity of God's word. And may the Lord build your faith as you study. May he fill you with love as you pray in the spirit. And may he give you hope as you look for his coming. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for this word. God, I'm grateful for it. Lord, I know we went over just a little bit tonight. But God, I, I think there's some very practical things in this little book of Jude, and I thank you, Lord, for helping us to exegete it, Lord, to, to learn of it, Lord, help us to be better. God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us this week, God. Help us to grow. God, keep anger at bay. Keep envy at bay. Keep greed at bay. God, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be students of your word each and every day, Lord, that we would be in prayer, Lord, being led by the Spirit, God, if it's being inspired in English or speaking in tongues or groaning, God, may we be led by your spirit in how we pray. God, lastly, Lord, may we look at the hope of your second coming, God. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, guys. You guys have been great tonight. Sorry, went a little bit long tonight.